Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. Good morning, everybody. Y'all good? How many of you are eating Thanksgiving leftovers for lunch today? Anybody making them last that long? Way to go. Y'all are doing it right. Must be doing it right. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. I'm really, really happy to see you this morning. My name is Tim Harris, pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. Uh, just the most blessed man to be alive. I love you all so very much. It is our Mission One season now, leading up to our big offering coming up in a couple of weeks. $55,000, I think, is the goal. Uh, which sounds like a whole lot of money to me. Um, just encourage you to give, encourage you to value missions. Uh, it, it, with me and Casey, uh, we always take very seriously what we will give. Uh, one of our rules is that our gift to missions has to be more than the most expensive gift we buy. So if Casey were to be buying me a bass boat this year, she ain't. But if she were, then our gift to missions would have to be more than that. We just always want to make sure that we through our money, through the way we spend our money, reflect properly what our values are. And we value the gospel and missions more than anything else. And so we want that to be reflected in this season. So I encourage you just to consider carefully what you will give as well. And having said all of that, we're in a world missions sort of emphasis, but I continue to keep coming back and preaching on personal evangelism, which to be honest is just what I feel like God wants me to do right now in this season of our life together. So... Um, Let's just continue to stay in the Word together. Acts chapter 4 is where we are today. One of the most magnificent names of anything I've ever heard is the name of a church planting network called Acts 29. I think Acts 29 is the best name for anything ever. Now to appreciate why Acts 29 is a good name, you have to know how many chapters are in the book of Acts. And there are how many chapters in the book of Acts? 28. There are 28 chapters in the book of Acts. So if this church planting organization calls himself Acts 29, what are they saying? Yeah, yeah, they are the continuation. They're the next chapter in the story of the book of Acts. And I love that so much. You understand, our church, we are Acts 29. We are the next chapter in this story. So understand, when you read the book of Acts, when you read a story like we're about to read about Peter and John, you have to be able to put yourself there and realize this is us. We are them. There's a straight line that you could draw from our story right to this story, and uh, you just have to know that and read it that way. So Acts chapter 4 is where we are this morning. Understand we're reading a story of the early church, but this is our story. We are Acts 29. We're the next chapter. We are in line with everything that happens right here in Acts chapter 4. And Acts chapter 4 picks us up. In the middle of the story, Acts chapter 3 is where it begins. Peter and John go to the temple. There they encounter a crippled man. He's been there for 40 years, crippled. They heal him in the name of Jesus. Uh, that, that, of course, causes a great stir. People want to know, how in the world did you heal that crippled man? And that becomes a chance to talk about Jesus, which they do. In Acts chapter 4, they're arrested for that. 
and the council tries to decide what in the world to do with Peter and John who can't be stopped talking about Jesus. Let's start right there. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it, so the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. I love that. The church is still so young that they're counting everybody. We're still getting the number of how many Christians there are now on the planet because it's still that early, and right after Pentecost, the first number we get is how many thousand? There were 3,000 right after Pentecost, I believe, so now there are about 5,000 just counting the men. So again, I just think it's remarkable that they're still just counting all the new believers and literally baptizing them by the thousands. I I love it. The church is growing rapidly. Verse 5. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Okay, stop right there. Y'all remember, keep your Bible chronology in mind here. This is fresh. This is fresh. I mean, Jesus was just crucified, just risen from the dead, just ascended to the Father. All this just happened. So when they're standing here in front of this council, this is the council that sent Jesus to the cross. It's that council. Very same people. We're talking about a span of just a few months. So so understand, they're standing up in the faces of the council that sent Jesus to the cross, and now they're saying this, verse 11, for the Jesus who is referred to in the scriptures is the one where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. Okay, that just kind of cracks me up, because honestly, I guess it's my pride. I'd be, I would be so just petrified if I thought that I like y'all heard me preach and then what you walked away saying was man he was ordinary man man that was one ordinary guy and obviously he has not been trained I mean think about it Peter and John after doing their thing and what everybody is impressed with was how ordinary they are and obviously they have no special training in what they're doing so what is it what is it Uh, Keep reading with me. Members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures, but they also recognized these men had been with Jesus. 
Okay, y- y'all know that's it, right? Y'all know that's everything right there, right? They've been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed sitting right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they've performed a miraculous sign. Everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. Everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Okay, so understand, this is us. This is us. It's our story. Uh, understand, Peter and John are you and me. That's the way you got to read this story. You have to see that there's a straight line from them to us. This is us. We're Acts 29. We're the next chapter of their story. Back in the old days before all of our photos lived on phones, we used to have photo albums. Listen to Papaw now, kids. We would take our paper photographs, and we would put them in big albums, like family pictures would be kept in an album on the coffee table. So you could go to somebody's house, you could look through their family photos. It was kind of a thing. And in my mama's house, we got old family photos, family albums to go back for generations. It's kind of cool. Because I can look back at people that literally died before I was born and, and, and know that that's my family. I can tell because of this nose right here. Like you got women that lived back, you know, you know, in the 20s with this nose. God help them. You know, they, they, they had hard lives. Um, you just look back, and, and even though I didn't know them, I know that it's family, and there's a family resemblance. And I know that there's a straight line that goes from their story to my story. It's kind of one big family story. You know what I mean? It's a family resemblance. And when you read the book of Acts, you have to read like that. You have to look back at folks like Peter and John, the early Christians. You have to look back at the church on the very dawn of the church, filled with the Spirit, baptizing by the thousands. And you have to know, you have to recognize there is a straight line that goes from them to us. We are the next chapter in their story. Had we been right there, standing where Peter and John were standing, we would have done what Peter and John did. We would have said what Peter and John said. Understand, Peter and John are you and me. Do you understand that? Do you see that? It's the beauty of reading the book of Acts. 28 chapters, but we are chapter 29. It is our story. So you got to see the family resemblance. You have to look at Peter and John and see the family resemblance. Do you see a family When I say Peter and John are you and me, When I say there's a straight line, is there a family resemblance? Is there a straight line? If you and me were standing where Peter and John stood, would we say what they said? Would we do what they did? I'm not sure. I'm thinking no. 
yeah, it's our story. Yes, we're the continuation of their story, but I don't see much of a family resemblance. I mean, when Peter speaks, they say, man, he is filled with the Spirit. Would anybody in our midst, would anybody just because they were around us, would they leave saying, man, those people are filled with the Spirit? Would they say that for us? When I say that, you know, we're the same, are we the same at all? It, it, it's amazing. And, and the key verse that I see right there is, is, is when Peter and John answer and they say, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? The counselors said, we don't care what you do, you're just not going to talk about Jesus. We don't care about your meetings, we don't care about your missions offerings, we don't care about your singing. We don't, you can do anything you want to do, you can heal people for all we care, just don't talk about Jesus when you do it. Do anything you want, just don't talk about Jesus. And Peter and John look back at these guys. These are the same men who sent Jesus to the cross. They know what they can do. They know their authority. But at the same time, they say, you really think, you think that we're going to obey you instead of God? We can't stop. You understand? It's that line right there. We cannot stop telling about what we have seen and heard. We can't stop. And that's my thing. If they were so unstoppable, why are we so stoppable? It's beyond that, you all. I mean, Peter and John say, we can't stop. We can't stop. But it's almost like we can't start. I, I love you all so much. I'm blessed to be your pastor. But I'm telling you, I could preach personal evangelism every Sunday for a solid year, and some of you would still not be moved. You're not going to do this. You're not going to talk about Jesus. You're not, gonna, you're not going to do that. You're not going to become that person. And it's kind of devastating when you look back and think, man, if, if we were standing where Peter and John would stood, how would this story be different? Peter and John filled with the Holy Spirit, and I don't know. They were so very unstoppable. Why are we so stoppable? I know some of you are going to say, Pastor Tim, it's just embarrassing. I, I want to talk about Jesus. I, I know that it's important, but it's just hard. It's really difficult because nobody wants to hear it. And, and it's true. You go out there in the world where you work, and I understand, where you go to school, the place where you work, your family at Thanksgiving, they weren't talking about Jesus because they don't care about Jesus. I understand that. They're the world. We're talking about the world. We're talking about lost people. And obviously, they're not having a big conversation about Jesus that you just get to chime in on. That's not how any of this works. They don't know him. So they're not talking about him. And so if you let them determine what you talk about, you'll never talk about Jesus. But we're not supposed to be, you know, formed into the, you know, the, the, the way that the world thinks and talks and, and moves. We're supposed to be like Jesus in the world. We're supposed to be like Peter and John who had been with Jesus to such a degree that when they got turned loose in the world, you couldn't stop them from talking about everything they had seen of Jesus, everything they'd heard from Jesus. I mean, they had something to talk about and they couldn't stop themselves. It's not your problem. You don't have any problem stopping yourself from talking about Jesus. You do it every single day. You, you, you self-censor. I mean, nobody's told you not to. You just get the idea they don't want you to, so you just don't. It's embarrassing, Pastor Tim. You've got to understand, it's embarrassing. 
And, and I, I know that. I know it can be awkward. I, I know that. And I know sometimes you will feel a little embarrassed because it seems like you're talking about something very personal, something nobody else is talking about. And when you're the one who, who says Jesus' name out in the world in the middle of lost people, I'm telling you, yeah, you're going to stand out, and that's going to make you feel a little bit conspicuous, awkward. There were two deacons, not from our church, I promise. I promise this was from our church. Uh, two deacons, Marty and Jeff, they, uh, real guys, they were in the church van. I don't know what they were doing, but they were out on a Saturday morning and they uh, needed to get gas. They stopped at a minute mart in the church van. Uh, Marty pumped the gas. Marty and Jeff both went in. They were going to get some snacks at the cash register. Nobody in the store. So the whole minute mart was empty except for one woman behind the cash register. And she was a young woman and she was crying, obviously crying. Empty store. Saturday morning, two deacons. Marty walked right up to the cash register and saw the woman's tears and just looked her in the face and said, Honey, it looks like you're having a terrible day. You need somebody to tell you today how much Jesus loves you. That's all he said. You need somebody to tell you today how much Jesus loves you. And when he said that, Jeff, like the other deacon, like whatever snacks he was buying, he dropped them on the spot and left. Like went out the door and went and hid in the church van. Now, whatever his deal was, he just disappeared, went to the church van. So now it's just Marty and the lady behind the register in an empty store. It's like God kept the store empty for this conversation, and Marty just started talking to the woman, and he talked to her the longest time. And understand, there in actually just a few minutes when it was over, Marty led that woman to Christ. He told her about Jesus, and she prayed right there at work, behind the register in a minute, Mark, with nobody else in there but, but Marty and her, and she accepted Christ beautifully, wonderfully. At the end of that, Marty went back out to the van, got in the van, Jeff, the, the other deacons in the van like this. Marty said, dude, what's your problem? Jeff said, don't you ever do that to me again. Don't you ever get me out in public and do that to me again. He said, do what? Jeff, he, did I mention he's a deacon? Jeff said, get in there and embarrass people. You embarrass that poor girl so much. I mean, get in and start preaching to her. She was so embarrassed. Don't ever do that. Don't embarrass people like that again. You embarrassed her. Marty said, what are you talking about? I did not embarrass her. She wasn't embarrassed at all. He said, I saw her. I saw her face when you started talking about Jesus. She was so embarrassed. Marty said, no, Jeff, she was not embarrassed. You were embarrassed. You were embarrassed. I said, no, I'm not. I'm not embarrassed. I'm just trying to tell you, you don't need to go into stores like that and just start preaching, talking about Jesus. It's embarrassing for people, that poor woman. Marty said, would you please, I want you to come in, I want you to meet her. Would you come back in and talk to her? Just like, no, we've put that poor girl through enough today. Marty said, no, Jeff, come on, you come with me. I want you to meet her again. So, again, the store is still completely empty. Marty and Jeff walk in. Marty says, honey, I just wanted you to meet my friend Jeff. Would you just, this is Jeff. Would you, you know, would you tell Jeff what just happened in here today? And the woman began to talk. She's the same girl, but a different woman. She's no longer crying. She is radiant. And she said, oh my goodness, Marty, I can't thank you enough. I will spend the rest of my life telling people about this day, about the day you came in and you told me about Jesus. You have changed my life for the rest of my life. I'll be telling everybody this wonderful story. Do you understand? Like you got a deacon, like you got a church deacon who finds that situation unbearable. 
You embarrassed her. No, no, no. She was not embarrassed. He was embarrassed. And there's a difference. There's a difference. And you need to know the difference. It's embarrassing to talk about Jesus. You find that embarrassing? Can you explain to me why? We're believers. We live life together. I know you. We talk all the time. I know some of what you've been through. I know our conversations. Today, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, so many of you have walked through the door and I've said, how was your Thanksgiving? I know it was hard. Some of you had the hardest Thanksgiving ever. You just had Thanksgiving and there was an empty seat at the table because you've lost a loved one in the past year. And it was a really hard Thanksgiving. And I've heard people say this morning in this house, Pastor Tim, I don't know how people live without Jesus. I don't know how they do it without Jesus. And you're right. I don't know how people do it without Jesus. I don't know how they live without Jesus. I don't know how they bury loved ones without the hope of heaven. I don't know how people live without Jesus. We say that around here all the time. I don't know how people make it. don't know how they do without Jesus. Okay, you say that. You say that. You say, I don't know how people live without Jesus because apparently living with Jesus is, is, is important to you. It means something to you. And it, it seems to break your heart that other people don't know Jesus, but apparently it doesn't break your heart. Because even though you can say, don't know how to live without Jesus, you won't tell them about Jesus. You find that embarrassing. Can you explain to me what's embarrassing about that? Exactly what is it that Jesus has done for you that you find so shameful? I mean, you believe that he's the son of God, right? He's the spotless lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. You say you believe that. You say that he died and purchased your salvation, you say that he never leaves you, never forsakes you. You say you can't imagine living without him. So what part of life with Jesus is it that you find so very embarrassing to talk about in public? You say you love him. You say Jesus loves everybody. You say Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, but then you cannot be bothered to tell the children that they're loved because you find that embarrassing. Explain to me what's embarrassing about Jesus. Explain to me what it is he's ever done for you that you find so shameful that you can't bear to be associated with him in public. How are you embarrassed of Jesus? Okay, now understand. It's Mark chapter 8, verse 38. These are red letters. It's words of Jesus, okay? This is what Jesus says, and, and I want you to see this. I want you to hear this. If anyone is ashamed of me, Jesus is talking. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person. The Son of Man will be ashamed of that person in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. Do you understand what that verse says? Do you understand what that verse may possibly be saying about you? You're embarrassed of Jesus now in front of lost people in, in, the, in, the, in a dark world. You're too embarrassed to talk about Jesus. You find Jesus and the gospel embarrassing. You're ashamed of that. Notice what Jesus says. 
you're saying to him now in this world, well, then the day's going to come where you're going to step before him in the glory of God the Father, and Jesus is going to be ashamed of you. Do you understand that? I'm telling you, when it comes to the gospel and personal evangelism, you don't need to worry about being embarrassed. You need to worry about being an embarrassment. You're ashamed to him. You're an embarrassment. I know most of us you know, think, you know, I just want to get to heaven, stand before Jesus, and I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful. I mean, that's what we say, right? Like you think that's what I'm going to say at your funeral. You know, she got there and, and she heard the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. But, but this verse lets us know that not everybody hears that. And it's very possible that you're not going to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, because you've not done well. You're not going to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, because you don't serve him. You're not serving him. You haven't done well, and you must not think that you're going to stand before Jesus, and somehow he's not going to know exactly how you've done, how you have hung your head in shame whenever his name came up in public, how you couldn't be bothered to tell lost people that there's a Savior, how you couldn't even tell your own grandchildren the gospel, how you were more concerned about getting your kids in the right college than trying to get your own kids into heaven. I'm telling you, you'll stand before Jesus, and he's going to hang his head in shame over you. He's going to be ashamed of you. This is what Jesus says. This is what you have to understand. You don't worry about being embarrassed. There's no way to be embarrassed of Jesus. You need to worry about being an embarrassment. Woodburn Baptist Church has been here for 150 years with the same great commission to take the gospel to the nations, and we haven't managed to take the gospel to Woodburn yet, a rather small place, if I might add. We haven't managed to take the gospel to Woodburn. I'm telling you, we're an embarrassment. We're an embarrassment. You've worked at the same factory for 20 years, 25 years, some of you. The same people, you worked right beside them. And these same people, you've talked about everything. You've talked about your kids. You've talked about sports. You've talked about your problems. You've talked about everything, but you've never talked about Jesus Don't worry about being embarrassed. Be thinking about how that's an embarrassment. Jesus says, you're you're ashamed of me? One of these days you're going to stand before me and and I'm going to hang my head in shame when you stand there because I'm going to be ashamed of you. I worry that our church, they will be ashamed of us. Because we don't, we, we don't carry the gospel. We, we give money for missions, and I want us to. But how can we say we care about the nations if we don't care about our neighbors? How can we say, I mean, the community of Woodburn, they're, 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 none of them go to church. None of them go to church. But they watch 700 of us come and go from this building every Sunday. 700 of us come and go from this church, and they see us. But they also can live there for years, and not a one of us will ever cross the street and go find out if they know Jesus. I'm telling you, we're an embarrassment. That's an embarrassment. That they could live, I mean, children could live and die in the shadow of our steeple and never hear about Jesus. And there's 700 of us over here every Sunday. 
having church, I find that embarrassing, devastatingly embarrassing. Of course, Peter and John, they didn't come to the temple that day planning to preach a sermon. They weren't trying to turn everything upside down, you all. Not at all. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in a 3 o'clock prayer service. Why did they go to the temple this day? Because it was, it was church day, you know? They were there because it was 3 o'clock, and that's what time the prayer meeting was starting. And one or the other looked at the watch and said, oh, you know, it's, it's almost 3 o'clock. Come on, Peter, come on, get in the car, let's go. And they went to the temple like I said, it was just time for church. That's what they did. They weren't thinking, hey, Peter, we are apostles, Probably ought to go to the temple now. You know, we're up. They weren't going because they were apostles. And they wasn't like, like, hey, John, let's go down to the temple today. Let's see if we can make something happen. And maybe, you know, maybe we'll make a Bible story. We'll wind up in the book of Acts one day. You know, no, no. They're just going to the temple. They're not planning anything. Peter doesn't have a sermon in his pocket. They're just going to prayer meeting because it's prayer meeting because it's 3 o'clock. But they walk by the crippled man. He's been there 40 years, 40 years, crippled. He lays there at the door of the temple because that's where the religious people come and go at prayer meeting, and he knows when to be there, 3 o'clock, because that's when the people are coming in and out. And church people won't do a whole lot for you, but they'll probably give you money. So he sits out there with his can, and he gets money from church people as they come and go, because that's just how it works. And he's done it for 40 years, which means if you were 40 years or younger, he's been there your whole life. Everybody knows him. Everybody's seen him. Peter and John have no doubt seen this man a thousand times. A thousand times they've walked past him on the way to the temple. They may have given him money. They may not have given him money. But today is different because now a lot of things have changed. Jesus has come, and Jesus has died, and Jesus has risen from the dead, and the Holy Spirit has come. And Peter and John now, they got the Holy Spirit, and they got the name of Jesus. And so everything is different, though things don't look different yet. They're walking by the man. The man, you know, rattles his can, you know, indicates he likes some money. Peter and John both, they ain't got no money. They're broke. Do I have any money? And maybe at first thought they're going to walk right on by, but then Peter goes back and says, hold on, hold on. I don't have any money to give you, but I do have something I'd like to share with you. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. Okay, just so you know, if ever somebody asks you for money, but you could give them legs and they're crippled, don't give them money, give them legs, you know? And that's what Peter and John do. He never thought to ask for that. I mean, obviously he would like to be healed, but never thought of that. Just give me a quarter, you know? Peter said, I don't have a quarter, but man, what I do have, I'm happy to give you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Now, he, he had never said that before. Nobody had, because it's new. Jesus is risen. Jesus has ascended to the Father. The Holy Spirit has come. There is power in the name of Jesus. Stand up and walk. That guy gets up and walks. Now, he's never walked before. Forty-something years, he's been crippled. Everybody's seen him crippled. You'd walk by him at church, you'd feel sorry for him. His little bee skinny legs, you know, wadded up underneath his body. I mean, you just think, oh, my goodness, how terrible to be that man. But all of a sudden, that little man's running around on those little skinny legs, Hopping and leaping and running. He runs straight into the temple. Up to that moment, he'd never been allowed in there, not just because he couldn't get in there, but because he had a physical defect. In those days, the temple was a place only for purity. If you had any kind of defect, 
physical defects. If you were crippled, you're not coming in the temple. But there he goes, man. He splits the doors wide open, heads down. I mean, he is leaping and hollering and shouting, man. He is healed. He is walking. Causes a stir. Everybody's like, wait, wait, wait. wait. That's the crippled dude. He's been out there my whole life. My whole life I've seen him laying out there and his little, those little drawn up legs underneath him. And, and how in the world is he, how is he walking? Who did this? And how did they do it? I mean, everybody needs to know what just happened here. It's never happened before. How did it happen? And notice what it says. Chapter 3, verse 12. Peter saw this as an opportunity. And he didn't have a sermon plan. He wasn't thinking about any of this. It's just that when you are now taken over by the power of Jesus, you find yourself doing and saying the things that Jesus would say and do, and Jesus would absolutely heal that man. So Peter and John healed that man, and now it leads to this. People need to know how it happened, so Peter sees the opportunity, and he starts talking about Jesus. Okay, I know he's Peter, an apostle and everything, but I want you to understand it's not any harder than that. The bottom line is you just be ready to answer when somebody asks. That's all Peter does. He did not have a sermon planned, you all. But when people say, how in the world did Jesus heal that man? There's only one answer, and the answer is Jesus. Peter talks about Jesus. When somebody asks you a question, and the only answer that you can possibly give is Jesus, then you just tell them about Jesus. This is how personal evangelism works. You just be ready to answer when somebody asks. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, If somebody asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain it. They're going to ask. You just be ready. You don't have to have a sermon. Peter, John, are ordinary guys, are ordinary with no training in any of this, but they've been with Jesus. And, and if you've been with Jesus, then... Uh, you start to understand how this works. You got, you got a story to tell. Just be ready. This pastor was going to a denominational meeting, so he had to fly. Man, I used to love to fly. I hate airports. I hate flying now. It's a hassle. Take his shoes off. So he was in the line there with his little sock feet. And uh, lo and behold, you know, the uh, security agent, Pulled him out of the line, just random. It wasn't because he looked weird. It's just whatever. You're the 50th guy, you know. And so they pulled him out and uh, randomly going through his stuff. It's a bother. Everybody hates it. But the security agent was actually really nice, really polite. You know, sir, step over here. I'm sorry. Inconvenience, but let me, let me just pat you down. Let, let me look through your laptop bag. Will you take your laptop out, please? And so he's on the table here, and the security agent was just working. And... Uh, Pastor looked down and saw that the man had on a little pinky ring. It was silver and it had a cross on it. And so the pastor just said, I like your ring. That's all he said. I like your ring. And the security agent just kind of looked up and smiled and said, uh, Thank you. I, I, I love this ring. Um, this ring is important to me because it means I'm a follower of Jesus. And he just kept working. He was going through the man's laptop bag and just saying, I'm a follower of Jesus. And, you know, in my line of work, People think a lot about dynamite and worry about dynamite, but, but that word dynamite comes from a word dunamis, which just means power. And, and I happen to believe that all the power belongs to God because he's the one who sent Jesus for us. And so while I'm down here doing my job, I just like knowing that he's up there doing his job, and that's what makes me feel secure. 
listen, it looks like everything's clear here. You have a splendid trip. <laughs> that was it. But that's how you do it. You know? It didn't take him 30 seconds. And yeah, there's a whole line of people, and he didn't stop working. He just kept on working. But he managed, in the course of working, to have an answer when somebody asked him about his ring, you know? And he calmly, confidently, he wasn't weird. He wasn't obnoxious. He wasn't judgy. He didn't say anything that would turn anybody off. He just spoke about his relationship with Jesus because the man asked about his ring, and the ring was important because Jesus is important. And, you know, it's all it takes. I mean, that's how you do it. But I know, always be ready. That's the part that gets y'all and me too because it, that requires, it requires boldness. You got to be a little bit brave there. I, I get it. Always be ready, which means most of the time people are going to make an appointment and let you know like in three days from now, I'd like to have a conversation about spiritual things. They're never going to tell you that and it wouldn't help you. If you had three days, you'd overthink it. You'd worry about it. You'd have diarrhea. I mean, you would worry so much about the fact that you're going to have to talk about these things in three days. It's better, and the Lord knows it's better. He just surprises you with opportunities, which is how it works. You don't ever know. You don't necessarily know. You're just going to be out there living your life, and all of a sudden, a door will open. Somebody's going to open the door, and you're going to have a chance to talk about Jesus. And in that moment, be ready to talk about Jesus. And it doesn't mean you have to launch into a sermon, take up an offering, have an invitation. Just talk about what you've seen and what you've heard. Talk about Jesus. You know Jesus, right? He means something to you, right? So just be ready. Just be ready. It, it takes boldness. I, I know it takes boldness. In the story, it takes boldness. I said that when I read this story, I don't see a lot of family resemblance until I get to the end. Peter and John are released by the council because the council don't know what to do with them. They love to just throw them in jail. They love to crucify them. Ultimately, they will. Make no mistake. But for now, they don't know how to do it without you know, blowing the whole town upside down. And so they just tell them to go out, and they know they're not going to listen. But so anyway, Peter and John, they go back to the church. They go back to their Christian brothers and sisters, and they tell the story. And then they pray. And that's where I see it. I can see us praying this prayer. I can see us doing what they do here. Because when Peter and John get back, chapter 4, verse 29, they, they, they pray this little two-part prayer. Verse 29, this is the church. And they say, now, Lord, here are the threats. Again, the council's threats, the world's threats. Here are their threats. And give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Why did they pray for boldness? Because they needed boldness. Maybe we're not all like Peter and John, you know, just ready to go. Man, some of us wonder, if I were standing in Peter's shoes, I don't know that I could have done what he did. I don't know if I could say what he did. If, if I'm going to have to do what Peter has done, God's going to have to do something in me. I'm going to need some boldness. That's where I can see that they're like us. God, give us boldness. We need boldness. But then the next thing I love, verse 30, stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I love this. They pray for two things. They pray for boldness, and they pray for God's power. 
God, we're going to show up with boldness. You show up with power, and that's how the world gets won for Jesus. You understand? God, we will show up with boldness. You give us boldness, and we will show up in boldness, and we will preach your word. But, God, you've got to give us the boldness. I love that. The second part is kind of funny because God is God. Like, if he shows up at all, he shows up in power because that's the only way God shows up. He can't show up and not be powerful. And that's what makes this kind of a dangerous prayer. I know you don't think a prayer is dangerous, but you don't pray a prayer like this unless you don't expect the the Holy Spirit to light a fire in your church. Because I actually believe God answers prayer. So if we all prayed a prayer, God, make us bold, give us boldness, what do you think he'd do? He'd give us boldness. You'd have so much boldness, you'd scare yourself to death. I mean, you would have so much boldness. If you ask God for boldness, he will give you boldness and then opportunities to uh, preach the word with boldness. I mean, you ask, you will receive. Not only that, man, we show up in boldness. God shows up with power every time. Every time. So you just show up, and all it takes is the boldness to tell what you've seen and heard of Jesus. That's it. You just say what you know. We know you're ordinary. Nobody's trained you. You don't need to be trained. You just need to know Jesus and be able to go out there with enough boldness to say his name. You do that, he'll show up with power. God will show up. And if the person needs saving, the Lord will save them. You can't save anybody. And if their heart's hard and they're bitter, I'm telling you, it's the Lord who can melt a bitter heart. It's the Lord who can soften a hard heart. That's not up to you. You just have to be bold enough to talk about Jesus. You show up with boldness, he'll show up with power. And that's how the world gets won. So there are 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And in some ways, it's a story that just keeps right on. We are the next chapter. We are the continuation of that story. We don't stand where Peter and John stood. But we know that if we were standing back where they were standing, when they were standing, we would have said and done what they would say and do. And, and now if they were standing where we stand, they would be saying and doing what we would say and do. We would preach the gospel with boldness. God would show up with power. And, and this is what the church does. I ask you to pray a dangerous prayer for all of us, for yourself, for our church. Pray that we can show up with boldness. God shows up with power. Pray we show up. Pray with me.